Yeah, we are in the midst of a series that we've been in for the last three weeks called The Bible Doesn't Say That. And really, we're just taking some of these common sayings and beliefs that, that we so often hold up and, and that we tell, you know, tell other people uh, that, that we hold up as Scripture, but in reality, they aren't really Scripture. You know, that they sound true and, and they've got elements of truth, biblical truth in them. And we may even desperately, desperately want them to be true and biblical. But the reality is the Bible just doesn't say that. And, and in many ways, we're learning what the Bible does say by looking at what the Bible doesn't say. And I've gotten a lot of feedback in this series and it's all been positive and that's certainly encouraging uh, to me, and I, I'm hoping you're, you're growing from this and, and learning from this. And, and one of the best pieces of uh, encouragement that I, I've gotten uh, was a couple weeks ago uh, after a sermon, you know, somebody was really in, said they were really enjoying this series and in particular that lesson, and they wished that I would have preached longer. So much, they, they were enjoying the lesson so much they wished I had preached longer. Now that's a compliment that you don't often get, that preachers uh, don't often get. Usually, People are telling us they wish we would preach shorter, not that it was longer. And so I got to thinking, what are some phrases that preachers wish they could hear in church just one time? And I came up with, with a few. Like, for example, could we pass the offering plate twice sometimes? Eh, never heard that one. Or, hey, it's our turn to sit in the front pew. Nobody ever says that. Or how about this one? I love it when we sing songs that I've never heard before. <laughs> you usually don't hear that one. Or we need a big change in our church before people get too comfortable. You usually don't hear that one very often. Or how about I'm starting a petition to double your salary. You see, there are certain phrases most preachers would love to hear at least one time in church. But there are also some phrases that we wouldn't mind if we never heard again. And most of them are said, albeit with good intentions, as people try to give comfort to someone who's going through a season, a uh, difficult time in their life, pain and, and suffering and hurt and struggle. And so someone might you know, say something to the effect of, well, God must really be up to something, or God must think a lot of you to test you in this, or God will never give you more than you can handle and notice that all of those popular expressions place the responsibility of people's struggles and trials solely at the feet of God. That God has to own up for his sole responsibility for why you are in such a tough place. And that's often what's behind the phrase that you might hear that we're going to look at today. Now just remember, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. And the subtle assumption in that phrase is that God has a reason that he's putting you through so much difficulty. And this phrase shows up all the time. I'm a huge sports fan, and I especially hear it a lot in, in the sports world. You know, every year in every major sport, uh, some athlete has a severe injury. It's, it's, just, it's going to happen. Like somebody blows out a knee, tears their ACL, something along those lines, and they're out for the season, and it is a tremendous blow for their team. In fact, I remember one in particular. It was several years ago. 
uh, involving a football player for the Green Bay Packers by the name of Jordy Nelson. And the reason I remember this is because I drafted him on my fantasy football team. Uh, and he was a very high draft pick, and I was expecting him to be one of my main guys to help me win the league that I was in. Unfortunately uh, for him and for me, I guess, but more for him, uh, in a preseason game, Jordy Nelson tore his ACL, and he was done for the entire season. And it was a tremendous blow for the Packers because he was their best receiver, and selfishly, it was also a tremendous blow for my fantasy football team. Uh, but Glover Quinn, who uh, some of you Lions fans may recognize because he was a safety for the Lions at the time, he had an interesting interpretation of this sad event. He told the Detroit Free Press, I hate that Jordy got hurt, but in my belief, it was God that meant for Jordy to get hurt. So if he wouldn't have gotten hurt today, if he wouldn't have played in this game, if he hadn't have practiced anymore, the next time he walked on the field would have been opening day and God would have had him get hurt then. So this is really better because the Packers now have some time to make adjustments in their roster. In other words, God had ordained that the next time Jordy played, he was going to tear up his knee. And so in God's kindness, he had it happen before the season started so that the Packers would have more time to react. Now, what is obviously wrong with that theology? For, for one thing, God doesn't even like the Green Bay Packers, so sorry all you Packers fans out there. But secondly, I don't believe that God is in heaven orchestrating football games and scores and, and wins certain you know, athletes and players tear up their knees or, or suffer these, these devastating injuries. Now, I do believe that things happen for a reason in the sense that God has wired the principle of causality into creation and into this world that we live in. That's why, why we have the sciences, because where there is an effect, you can try to deduce a cause. But you better exercise caution when trying to do, uh, or when you start to attribute cause to explain every effect. And, we, and you wind up giving credit or blame, as it usually turns out to be, to God. And here's the problem. Because everything does happen for a reason, but the reason is not always God. Everything happens for a reason, but the reason is not always God. Now, I think it's, it's wrong to not give God the honor that he is due, but I think it's also wrong to give God credit that he's not due and to hold God responsible for something that he did not do. So everything happens for a reason, but the reason isn't always God. For example, I could be the reason. You know, when, when something happens in my life, I could be the reason because the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 that we are going to reap what we sow. You and I reap what we sow. And in some cases, not every case, so I'm not, I'm not saying this is an absolute, but in some cases when something bad happens in my life, I need to at least open myself up to the possibility that it could be a result of a corresponding choice or behavior in my life. So for example, if you are texting and driving at the same time and you hit a car, God was not the reason you had an accident. If you party too much and you flunk out of school, don't say, well, God just, you know, that, that just wasn't God's plan. 
If you spend your money poorly and you make poor financial decisions, don't point your finger at heaven wondering why you're in the position that you are in. Point your finger at the person that you look at every morning in the mirror. And the reason I bring this up, and I'm, I'm kind of adamant about this, is because I cannot tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who are suffering the consequences of self-inflicted wounds, and they're angry at the church or at God for decisions that they have made. And the Bible even references this in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. It says, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness. And then they are angry at the Lord. And so this is why you need to be careful about how you invest yourself emotionally, relationally, financially, spiritually, because you will reap what you sow. The choices that you make are going to have consequences for better and for worse. And if you're going through a really tough time right now, I'm not saying this is always the reason, so please don't hear what I'm not saying but you at least need to open yourself up to the possibility that the choices you've made or the behaviors that you're engaging in could at least be part of the reason. Or here's a second thing. Others could be the reason. You know, we can be profoundly blessed or profoundly wounded by the actions of other people. And the reality is that other people can have a huge impact on our lives for better and for worse. Somebody lied to you. Somebody broke a promise. Somebody cheated you in business. Somebody didn't keep their marriage vows. These things matter and they have consequences. That's one reason why the Bible is so emphatic about love your neighbor and love your enemy because you don't want to be the reason something bad came into their life. You want to be the reason something good came into their life because other people have a tremendous influence and impact on our lives and we have a tremendous impact and influence on the lives of others. And then here's a third reason. Sometimes when bad things happen, the Bible says Satan could be the reason. And I know some people can you know, take this too far, but the reality is that Jesus believed in a real devil who did real things in the real world. For example, in one of his parables about the kingdom in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says this, starting in verse 24, as he tells the parable about the weeds or parable of the weeds. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seed, sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? And he replied, An enemy did this. An enemy did this. In other words, Jesus believed that just as God is active and is intervening in the affairs of the world, the devil is also active. And sometimes, listen, we, we know it. Sometimes it is evident that, that Satan is working. And that's why Paul could say that thorn, you know, I asked God to take away. I know that it was an assault from Satan, but sometimes we don't know it. And so in the book of Job that we'll talk about in a moment, that righteous man went through extreme suffering and he never knew that the devil was the reason. And so you need to hear me say this, spiritual warfare is not the occasional possibility, okay? But it is the daily reality for every believer in Jesus Christ because the devil is real and he does real things in the real world. 
But, you know, I think most of the time when we go through a hard season, uh, most of the time the reason is fallenness. Fallenness is the reason, or it could be the reason. In Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 22, Paul speaks of all creation and the world around us being in bondage to decay because of sin. You know, way back in Genesis, when sin entered the picture, all of creation was affected, not just humanity. Because the reality is that life, the, the life of human beings and life on this planet and, and, and in reality on this planet are all part of, of the same complex, interconnected web. And so human beings weren't just affected by sin. You and I weren't the only ones affected by sin, but this entire planet was. The ground, for instance, became hard to work, producing thorns and thistles. The relationship and equi equilibrium between humans and other humans, between humans and the, the animal kingdom, be between humans even and the, the natural world around us were all upset when sin entered the picture. An expression of this could quite frankly be the, the reality that looming natural disasters impose on us. That's on a large scale, but even on a smaller scale, the looming disasters that microorganisms impose on us. Just think about what we've experienced over the last year in this COVID-19 pandemic that we've been experiencing. We live in the midst of a decaying creation, and we are connected to that decaying creation. Now, I don't bring all of this up so that you'll spend the rest of your life trying to connect the dots and be enslaved to always trying to figure out who or what is responsible for this happening or that happening. That's not the purpose. And to be quite frank, I think it's rather foolish to go down that route because I don't think we often get it right when it comes to connecting the dots. But I bring these things up simply because I want you to see that when we use that phrase, everything happens for a reason, the impression that's usually left in those words is this, that this is God's idea. And that's just not the case with every rotten thing that happens. Now, that doesn't mean that we can totally let God off the hook here. Because even though he may not be the primary reason that you're going through what you're dealing with right now, it is true that he's on the throne and he chose not to intervene and stop it. And so God didn't cause the cancer, but he chose not to, or he didn't choose to heal it either. God didn't ordain that that drunk driver would get in that truck or that car and, and, and hit your friend, but he also didn't strike him with a heart attack, you know, before he ever got into the car either. And so one of the things that we wrestle with is the intention and the activity and sometimes the non-activity of God in a world that is filled with so much evil and suffering. But we've got to be careful here. And I think this is where the, the book of Job helps us. You know, many think that the book of Job is about the problem of suffering. And that's certainly part of it. But more than that, I think it's about the problem of faith in a world that's full of suffering. You know, Job doesn't answer the question, why do people suffer? But rather, Job asks the question, will people trust God when they don't know why they suffer? 
And the book of Job warns us against this entitlement spirit that thinks that God owes us an explanation when bad things happen. Because you get to the end of the book and it's pretty clear that God does not have to exercise his sovereignty in a way that makes sense to us. He doesn't have to justify himself to us. It's not God who's in need of justification. It's we who are in need of justification. And by the way, for what it's worth in my years of being a minister and pastor, I've learned that the reality that knowing the reason, or I've learned the reality that knowing the reason is often overrated. Enlightenment is not going to bring you all the relief that you think that it will. The child who finds out that his parents are divorcing, do you think it will hurt that child any less if they know why than the child who finds out that their parents are splitting up and doesn't know why? Do you think the one who knows why is going to hurt any less than the one who doesn't? The person who loses a spouse or the parent who loses a child, do you think if they know why it happened that it will hurt less than if they never understand why? Reason is just so overrated. And at some level, it can even become idolatrous because anytime you say, I need this more than I need God, you're getting in the realm of idolatry. The Bible is asking us, though, if we will trust God when there doesn't seem to be a reason. And that kind of trust doesn't come from trying to connect the dots. That kind of trust comes from connecting our pain to God's heart. We connect what we don't know, what we can't know, what we may never know, to what we absolutely do know about God. And again, Paul, I think, helps us here in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, a verse that I'm sure many of us are familiar with. He says, and we know, not we speculate, not we guess, not we surmise, but we know that in all things God works, not just for his own glory, but he works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So when you're dealing with a season of suffering and pain and you don't know why, I want to suggest instead of searching for a reason, focus on where God is at work. Paul says God works in all things, not just in good things. And that doesn't mean that God causes all things. It means that no thing can cause God to stop working for your good. Because understand, things don't work out for good just on their own. Remember, this world is broken. It is a fallen and broken world. And if anything works out for good, then you can know that God was at work. Think about the very first picture of God in the Bible, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis 1 verse, chapter 1 verse 2, it says, The world was formless and empty. The Hebrew words there are tohu and bohu, which are really fun to say. Tohu, bohu. You can just say it at home. Uh, it's, it's actually quite fun to say. Uh, but the world was tohu, bohu, formless and empty. And then God spoke and good began to show up. I think someone needs to come up with, with a bumper sticker that says tohu, bohu happens because it still does. And God still speaks and God still works and order and design and beauty and good start to come out of what was chaos. He doesn't cause chaos. He brings good out of it. 
I mean, think about it. He brought our salvation and our redemption and our eternal hope out of the most evil act in human history. And listen, sometimes we can see God at work and it helps us cope. You know, we're going through something, something difficult and it's really hard to go through, but we, we can see how God is moving and working in the midst of that situation and it helps us to cope with what's going on. Of course, there's also times when it's just downright hard to see what God is doing and how he's working and you just have to trust that he is. You know, many of you know that my wife Marcy and I have uh, struggled with infertility and, and it was really hard to go through that. Uh, it was really hard to see how God was working in the midst of that as we were praying, you know, and we just, we, we, we couldn't understand how God was working and what he was doing and what he was planning, but the love and the support and, and the counseling that we got from so many, so many of, of you during that time, I, I think in many ways prepared us to be better parents as we were going through that, prepared us for, for what we would face, you know, later on in life and, and, and to be more prepared for what we would face. And, and it, listen, it didn't work out like we had planned it, but I can tell you this, it worked out better than we ever could have planned it because now we are blessed with the two most amazing children that we ever could have imagined. And God was also at work in, in shaping us to help counsel and encourage others who were going through something similar to what we went through. And so sometimes we can see God at work and it helps us to cope with what we're going through. Other times we may not be able to see what he's doing and how he's working. And we just have to struggle to believe that he is at work. You know, trusting in God doesn't mean that you know, it's, it's wrong to groan, it's wrong to gripe, but sometimes you just need to groan. I mean, decay stinks. The, the things that we experience in this life, we can just call it for what it is. Sometimes it just stinks and God gives us permission to acknowledge the stinkiness of life. Faith doesn't mean pretending that bad things are really good things. That's not what faith is. Faith means trusting that a good God will work for our good today and he will make all things right someday because God hasn't promised us immunity. God has promised eternity. And so Paul says in Romans chapter eight, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then he says in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Christians aren't different because we don't have trials or because tohu bohu doesn't come into our lives. We're not different because our problems are smaller. We're different because our hope is bigger. And hope gives us a strength and an endurance that reasons never could. Because you see, we do have a reason. A reason why hope can trump the mystery and the pain. There's a reason why we believe evil will not have the last word. There's a reason why we can trust God in all things, even when we can't see what he's doing. There's a reason why we don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. What's the reason? Here's the reason. Jesus Christ has conquered death. That's the reason. God in Christ came to us. God in Christ became like us. God in Christ has experienced evil with us. He went to a cross and he died 
for us. He took away our sins. He took them away from us. And when he left the grave to show us that when God works, God wins. And one empty tomb trumps a whole head full of reasons. Peter put it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And as long as the tomb is empty, I've got a reason to keep going. So when you cannot see what God is doing, you hold on to what you know he has already done and to what he has promised he will do. And the next time God gives you the privilege to walk beside somebody who's going through great suffering and in great pain, please don't feel like you have to say anything. Maybe just your presence is enough. But if you do speak, don't feel like you need to analyze all the reasons. And please don't minimize the hurt, but point to the work of God in Christ Jesus and emphasize the hope. You know, some people think, and they may be right, that when we get to heaven, we're finally gonna have all the whys answered and everything is gonna make sense. Maybe, but here's what I think. That when we get our first glimpse of the wonderful, amazing, powerful, loving face of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, Wise won't really matter anymore because his eternal presence will be better than any reason.